Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 9? We finish out the chapter today with a message that I call the greater blindness. We're in the context of the story where Christ has healed the blind beggar man who was outside the temple at the gate where all the beggars were. And of all of the beggars and of all the blind men who were there, it was this particular blind man that Christ chose to heal, to bless, to save. The great message of John is the deity of Christ that seeing, considering, observing, studying Christ in John's gospel, he says in chapter 20, that you then might believe in his name, that you might have life. John makes it very clear that God Almighty has come forth from the realm of the eternal one and God the Son has accommodated himself to the time and space continuum and there on, on that day in that time as appointed by God Almighty Christ came to reveal himself and to reveal what true salvation is. That story of the power of Christ, the deity of Christ, the salvation that only Christ gives, of course, continues on through. And so here we have the account after they had, after the Pharisees had rejected the man who had been blind and they cast him out of the synagogue. They disfellowshipped him. He never was a part of the synagogue anyway, having been born blind, because that was in their culture and according to their theology, was acquainted with sin. That's why the disciples asked the question when this narrative began, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he might be born blind like this. And of course, Christ then engaged in the doctrine of salvation and continued to teach how salvation can only be found in him. So this man has been rejected by his parents. He's been rejected by the Pharisees. He's even been rejected by those who were neighbors and observers who watched what Christ did. They knew this guy had been blind all of his life. They knew that a miracle had been performed. And none other than the blind man himself explained to the people in all of our texts, in all of our scriptures, never did a man come to one who had been born blind and give him his sight. And I'll tell you why. Because it is the unique sign of the presence of the Messiah. Isaiah writes about it in, in several places. He explains that 
He is light. He brings light to a dark world. And it is Messiah who will restore uh, sight to blinded eyes. That is something reserved especially for the power of Messiah because of the great truth that is behind it, that there is darkness and that the only light that can be provided is the light that Christ brings. There is blindness, there's spiritual blindness and people cannot understand the dilemma of being a part of a fallen race, humanity, we, we don't have the capacity in and of ourselves to understand that dilemma. Only God can make us understand that. And only God can open our eyes to the truth. So this is used as a great illustration by the Lord to teach a great spiritual truth. It starts out, you may recall, in John 1... In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You may remember, what was it in John uh, 8? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We could go on and on with this, but this is reserved, this power to restore sight to one who had been born blind, who had never known sight at all. This is you and me in a spiritual sense. We're born, in, we're born into a fallen race. We are, we are doomed. We're in sin. My mother conceived me. I was just when I, be, when I was numbered among the human race, before I was born, I was in sin because I am of Adam, and Adam all die. By one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, so that death has come upon us all, for all have sinned. This is who we are, unless and until God comes to us and draws us to the Son. That's a work of God. We, we can't do that ourselves. We don't have the power. We don't, we don't have the understanding. We don't even think about salvation if it's, if it's left up to us. We have other ideas, and that's going to be seen more clearly as we get into the text here. So let's look at it. First of all, consider what he said about spiritual sight. Jesus heard that they'd cast him out. Now, notice these things that I have numbered here. Actually, they're more than the ones that I have numbered. Having found him. Spiritual sight. Regeneration. Salvation. Redemption. It's not a work of man. There is nothing within my human essence that would ever come up from within myself to seek salvation. Jesus found him, Luke 19. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Romans 3, no man seeks God. We don't seek after God. We're not the initiator of this thing. It is God who comes seeking us. And he seeks us particularly, and he seeks us effectively, and he seeks us absolutely. 
and the seeking of God and, and this doctrine within the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, the doctrine within that, the doctrine of regeneration is seen so clearly here. Christ can of all the people. Christ found him. Christ came seeking him. He didn't know what to do. Christ found him. And now, you see, in redemption, God initiates the seeking and God initiates the dialogue. Jesus said to the one who had been born blind and now can see, do you believe in the son of man? When God moves upon us and draws us to the Son and brings us into his salvation, it is God who initiates the dialogue. First of all, seeking us, he finds us. Next, he dialogues with us. Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God. Okay? Something is about to happen. Do you believe in the one who makes it happen? Initiates the dialogue. Do you believe in the son of man? Now let's talk about the, the phrase son of man. It's used several times here in, in John's gospel. It's used other places as well in the gospels. But it is, it is the particular title that Christ gives to himself as he ministers, the Son of Man. Because it is a term that anyone who knows, who knew their Old Testament, anyone would have known that it was a title applicable to the Christ, to the Messiah. It didn't belong to anybody else, but to the Messiah. And it belongs to the Messiah as the one who initiates the kingdom. It is this son of man. It's written about in Daniel chapter seven. That's where the term comes from. And there, Daniel says, I was having a, a vision in the night. And I saw son of man come up to the ancient of days and a dominion was given to him. And this dominion will never have an end. This kingdom will never have an end. And having come forth to the ancient of days, the son of man would have dominion over every people, every language, every tongue, everybody. It would be his power. In the greater context of Daniel, it goes on and explains how his kingdom would absolutely displace the kingdoms of the world, of the Gentiles. Nebuchadnezzar had that dream and saw it as a marvelous statue of precious metals. Daniel had the same dream, but he saw the kingdoms of the earth as wild, crazy animals. But the same end came in both dreams and that is at the time of the end of the reign of the Gentiles, of the nations, 
son of man would come and he would, he would strike at the base of earthly, worldly power. It would collapse and be destroyed. And then his kingdom would replace all other kingdoms and it would never have an end. This kingdom has initiated itself in our hearts. It, it comes to visible fruition in the millennial kingdom. And then finally is eternally, of course, established when the son gives up the kingdom to the father as 1 Corinthians 15 teaches, then the son will have delivered up the kingdom to the father. And then the kingdom goes on for eternity. Now this is a messianic term. We can understand that even though he wasn't allowed in the synagogue, apparently this blind man had nothing better to do on the days that they read the scriptures than to tap his way over to a window because he knew quite a bit about the Old Testament even though he had never read it. He knew the term, the phrase, son of man. He knew that. He knew that it was directly associated to Messiah. He already has expressed that, he, that Jesus is of God. He's a prophet. He's already said that to the Pharisees. And he has a greater spiritual depth and a greater way of how to apply the scriptures of their Old Testament than even the Pharisees did. So having found him, here's the, initi here's the initiative. God comes to us. We can't go to God. Let me tell you this. Doctrine of regeneration. Who would we go to? If we are in and of ourselves of the fallen human race and we're just a brute, we have no spiritual life because we're dead in trespass and sin. How will we know where to go? The natural response would be humanism, which engulfs the world today. We can figure it out. We know how to keep the climate from destroying us. We know how to search for other places we can live in the universe. We know how to take care of ourselves. We can come together and we as human beings can come up with all the answers. It's a modern tower of Babel. It's humanism. That is the base way. That is the natural way of a man to see ourselves as good and to see ourselves as being able to work out this good so that from within ourselves, we can demand entry to heaven because of who we are and what we've done for ourselves. Humanism, human religion is part of humanism. Tower of Babel, all that fits into the same thing. It is, it is the way of Babel, the way of Babylon. And Babylon, the way of Babylon, mystery Babylon is not destroyed until the revelation. You get to chapters 14 through 18, and everything about Babylon that is humanistic, the, the, the religious Babylon, the economic Babylon, the political Babylon, the humanistic Babylon, it's not destroyed until God in his judgment of the revelation destroys it. So you and I, the world in which we live in is plagued 
still with Babylonianism, with Babel. No doubt about it. I read a lot of stuff through the course of a week. I saw where, where your president is telling his administration to adopt digital currency. There was a time when there was no paper currency. It's, am it's amazing to me how a piece of paper and we all love to have it in our pockets. I mean, I'd just soon have some as not. Because it does things. But it's just paper. There was a time when local banks issued banknotes. That's where, and their banks would stand good for the banknotes. These things are always changing, you see. Religion itself has evolved. Even within Christendom. So that it seems, seems already that the false prophet is, 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 is writing on the back of this scarlet prostitute. It's just, you see it, you see it in humanism all through history, Babylonianism, and especially today. More than any time, at any time, as far as I can tell, in my lifetime. So... This, this false system is the natural response of humanity regarding salvation. That's where we would choose to go if, it was, if we didn't have God seeking us. We'd just seek ourselves and seek each other. That's what we would do. And then other man-made religions that exist in the world, which is where Christ is here. He's in the middle of Judaism, which is ruled by Pharisaism, which is based partly on the word of God, but mostly on the traditions of men. Well, that's not the kind of, that's not the kind of salvation that can save you, so-called redemption. Of course it can't. This is why God seeks us, those who are his. We don't know how to seek God. We don't know who to go to. It has to be revealed to us. So then, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the King of all kings? Do you believe in the coming kingdom that will put down all other kingdoms? Do you believe in the Christ? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? You have the seeking of God, the dialogue that is part of the process. It's part of the, not process, but it is part of the power of regeneration. All initiated and directed by God Almighty. And always leads to Christ. Real salvation never leads anywhere else but to Christ. It's initiated by God God carries the, the dialogue, carries it all the way through. And the one whom we need so badly, the one who has sought after us and we are awakened to this great need leads to faith, belief. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, 
You've seen him, and he is the one speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. Christ had done something for this man that only Christ could do. Nobody else in all of history and all of humankind could recreate and regenerate a man's eyesight for all that it took. Eyesight, nerves that are connected to the brain and all that goes with it. Only God could do this and God has done it in the person of Christ. This man knows in whom he believes. Christ said, I am the Christ. Immediately, just then, Lord, I believe. This happened to you if you were a Christian. It happened to me. I was sought by God. God, in a moment, entered into a dialogue with me that brought me to great conviction. Brought me face to face with myself. And made me realize that I needed something that I could not provide for myself and that the human race in and of itself could not provide. And there I was listening to the one who sought me. And then the great conviction of guiding me to the only one who could save me, Jesus Christ. This is all of God. None of man. Now, What makes us recognize a real believer? And he worshiped him. It is the recognition of the presence of God in conviction. And in what we call regeneration, salvation, redemption, reconciliation, whatever. It is in that that we recognize it is the power of God and the presence of God and the person of God who has saved us. We did not save ourselves. This is salvation. And when we become students of the word, we come to realize that it is something that was born in the heart and mind of God from before the foundation of the world. He knew me before I knew him. John writes about that in his epistle. Before I knew him, he knew me. Before I loved him, he loved me. So then, when the the weight of this great truth comes upon me and all of my sins are forgiven, all of them, even ones that I may not have committed yet. I'm going to tell you something that I'm going to trust you won't tell anybody else. I didn't stop sinning when I got saved. You didn't either. I carry around this dead body. Mine's hard to carry. But he has given me spiritual life. He took all of that 
everything about sin in my life, all of it. And he carried it to the cross and deposited it in a grave. He also had me in his heart when he came forth from the grave. My resurrection is in his resurrection. He did all of this for me. Starting from before the foundation of the world, carrying it into the ages of the ages, he will write on me someday, according to the scriptures, he will write on me his new name. I've spent a lifetime studying his name. I will spend eternity learning more and more about his new name. I can't even fathom it. And when I have been born again and regeneration has come upon me and I'm not the same creature, how can I help but worship him forever into the ages of the ages? How do you know? How can you identify a true believer? Here it is. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now, I could give you a long, a long dialogue on worship, the history of worship through the scriptures and through the time of the church. But let me just say, we're okay. Sing praises, hymns, and praises and psalms from the heart. A psalm is accompanied by musical instruments. To pray, to have our time of prayer, to have our time of Bible study and have a time of exposition. This is what our hearts come for. We come to offer ourselves as a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. And we give it from the heart because of what he's done for us. And then we drink in his word like a thirsty, thirsty man or woman. We drink it. We're fed upon it. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. And we don't want to live in darkness. He's the light of men. And this is what we do. And it carries us through the week and we reflect on it and we study it even in our own time. We study it privately. We are taught. We serve. We seek to be obedient. We follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We exercise spiritual gifts that he has provided to us in ways that we don't even realize. This is what it means. We worship him in prayer.
Do you ever sing along with a song that you hear on Christian radio while you're driving? Or do you kind of, you know, and you're at a red light and the guy next to you is kind of looking at you, you know. Here's what I do. I'll crack my window a little bit and I'll say, What's well, great news? That's just great news. Thank you. I'll talk to you about that later. Goodbye. <laughs> but it, it doesn't keep me from singing the next one. That's worship. That comes from the heart. Can't help it. I'm saved. I like that old song that says, I'm a, I'm a, Rich, I'm a worm, I'm a no good sinner. And he said, I'll save you anyway. That's me. The longer I live, the more I realize what a wretch I am. You know, you start out. I don't, I don't mean to be patronizing or anything like that. I'm just going to make an observation. And I put myself in it because I was the chief of all of it. Young preacher gets up. And he just doesn't have the experience that an older guy, he can't help himself. And what you going to do? You can't open his brain and pour 50 years of experience into it. At least this is me. So you feel like you've got to condemn sinners more than anything when you get up there. Man, you've got people out there that you know just do wrong stuff and you just don't call them by name, but you talk about their behavior. And half of it isn't even in the Bible. You know, but then you get older and you start to say some of that same stuff. You say, Ooh, that's me. Ugh, that's me. As a matter of fact, I did worse than that. If an old preacher lives long enough, all he can think of is grace. Growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ said, the Apostle Peter. And that's how it is. This is the development of maturity. And the more you go, the more you realize I cannot help but worship him. There's not a song. Let me tell you something. There is not a song that will be sung in heaven that will praise anything about me. Not a song. Remember that old song, I had made news in heaven when I got saved. It, it, it made some angels happy, but they didn't stop the presses, you know. They blessed God for his grace. Not me for being saved. There's not a song that'll be sung in heaven to extol you or me or any good thing about the fallen race from whence we have been delivered. Not a thing. It'll all be about the power of God in Christ through grace that saved me and kept me and delivered me and brought me to glory. That's all it'll be. That's worship. Worship. This is, this is the hallmark of a true believer. But then there's 
Spiritual blindness. It's funny. The guy who couldn't see received his sight, but he also received spiritual sight. But the guys who could always see were spiritually blind and just stayed on in their spiritual blindness. Look at it. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world. Now, he's five and a half months from the cross. The cross is the dividing line. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the main point. Oh, oh, man, I will pick the language apart as I study it. And then I'll, I have, I don't know how many times I have read the systematic theology book. Some of them are that thick. And I'll go through those things and I'll check it out in the scriptures and do all that stuff. But let me tell you, the bottom line is this. Jesus. The difference between a believer and everybody else is Jesus. Nothing else but Jesus. Is Christ your Savior? You'll know it. You'll know it because you can't help but worship him and adore him. That's life. Christ of God. That's life. Let me study him more. Let me learn more about Jesus. And if I can, let me help others. If God would be so pleased to use me in that way. Here's the dividing line of judgment. Christ. Christ. Christ says, I came into this world for judgment. That those not seeing may see. And those seeing may become blind. If you think you have it all figured out without Christ, then you are seeing, but you're blind. You're figuring it out in humanism. And it is, it is nothing but judgment and damnation. That's all it is. It, it, the Pharisees were brought up. Matter of fact, later on, I think it's in John 12. Later on, Christ says to the Pharisees, you cannot be saved. Shoo, how would you like to hear that? You see, there is blindness and then there is blindness to judgment, judgment blindness. The Pharisees who were with him there heard these things and they said to him, are we also blind? Bunch of smart Alex. They just, they don't see. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. You see what Christ says? If you recognized the fact that you're in darkness, you would come to the light. If you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But since you say, we see your sin remains. I can't think of anything worse than to hear these three words from Jesus Christ. Your sin remains. 
the books were opened and the book was opened. Volume after volume, book after book, myriads of scrolls and books that record the life of every human being. All of mine, this great debt that I owe has been settled. And I didn't settle it. He paid it for me. And he settled it in those books of me are meaningless. Why? Because then he opened the book of life. And my name is in the book of life from before the foundation of the world. It'll take a few thousand years for that to be explained to me, maybe more. But all I need to hear, first of all, is that's what it says. That's all I need to hear. I didn't know that when I was drawn to Christ. I've lived much of my younger life not realizing so much of the truth that attends to the details of my salvation. And I haven't arrived yet, but I sure do enjoy the journey and the study. New things about Christ constantly being unveiled to me which deepens my adoration and lifts up my worship even higher than it was before. Your sin remains. Man, I hope we, have, we don't have anything like that here, I hope, today. I hope and pray that God will save the lost we're here today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He came into this world to save sinners. Admit that you're a sinner. Call on Him to save you. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And that only comes into your heart because God puts it there. In just a moment, we'll have our prayer of benediction. If you're here today and God is bringing you to his son Christ, you'll know it. Let me invite you to step into one of the rooms as you leave right across the hall. We have deacons and their wives there ready to pray with you about it, speak to you about it. Come to Christ. Maybe you're here already saved and you want to become a part of the shallow family. They are there to help you with that. We'll take care of all of the details. If that's what God wants in your life. Prayerfully, let's stand all over this room.